Well, I know we've uh, prayed a few times this morning already, but I'd like to pray again. Let's gather our hearts. Let's uh, just give this time together to the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we love you. Thank you for just, uh, for times set aside in our week. We're all so busy. We all have many things that weigh us down, that we struggle with, and that just fill our time. And Father, that tend to fill our hearts and our emotions as well. Lord, but you, you instruct us, you invite us to gather together as your children. And Father, that's exactly what we've done here this morning. And just thank you for the encouragement that has come to my heart already, just through singing with my brothers and sisters, singing your praise, and just contemplating your, your goodness and your immensity, Lord. Father, as we open your word this morning, we're talking about uh, things that are very near and dear and just very real to so many of us as we look at the marriage relationship. But Father, marriage relationships just touch each of us, whether we're married or not. And so Lord, I ask for you to illuminate each of our hearts uh, to the things that you have for us, the things that we need. Father, I, I, would, I want Jesus Christ to be formed more and more in my heart, uh, that he might be manifest in my life uh, in this special area, Father. So to this end, we put this time before you, Lord. We ask for you to, to lead, guide, and bless. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, speaking of marriage, it was in 2005 that the Guinness Book of World Records, and Florence Aerosmith, now held two new records. Uh, one for the longest marriage of a living couple, which I guess that living part is pretty important. I don't think it counts otherwise. The longest marriage of a living couple. Any guess how long? 80 years. 80 years. The longest marriage of a living couple. I'm not even certain I want my body to be alive for 80 years. And the testimony, 80 years married and they also had a second world record, and that was for having the largest married couple's aggregate age. That's a weird title to get, but basically what that means is the age of both the husband and the wife added up together. They have the longest amount of age added up of any married couple out there, clocking in at 205 years. Pretty impressive. We might be able to learn something, perhaps. Both Mr. and Mrs. Aerosmith have since died, but they left good advice for those who want to have a lasting marriage. Florence said this, You must never go to sleep as bad friends. If you've had a quarrel, you make it up. Hmm, that sounds like scripture, doesn't it? Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And lastly, she adds into the mix, never be afraid to say sorry. That's good. Percy had slightly more humorous advice. He said the secret to his long marriage was just two words. Yes, dear. Alternatively, Henry Ford. Anybody know who Henry Ford was? Guy behind Ford, motors, making all of those. When Mr. and Mrs. Henry Ford celebrated their golden wedding anniversary, that's at 50 years married to one another, a reporter asked them, to what do you attribute your 50 years of successful married life? 
His response is beautiful. He said, the formula is the same formula I have always used in making cars. Just stick to one model. And I really like that when we bring it to God's word. Because when we're talking about this intimate relationship that is fond over, that is dreamt of by uh, young children who have never entered into this relationship, or maybe anybody of any age, just dream and long for the glory and the beauty and the joy and the romanticism of a marriage relationship, uh, it, it touches absolutely everybody. But God repeats through his word time and time again that he has instructions. He has a plan for this relationship, and he has goals. And we've talked about the goals already for marriage. What is the goal of marriage? We kind of read it in our scripture reading this morning in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis 2.24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God's goal for the marriage relationship is for a husband and a wife to dwell together in unity as one, reflecting the glory and the image of God himself in this world. We walk as one. That's the finish line that we've been talking about. Last time we were together discussing marriage, we talked about the first part of this verse. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother. We talked about the ways and what it looks like to biblically leave and separate from each, the the husband and the wife, separating from their father and mother, and what God is creating in that new relationship, the new headship that begins with the start of this new family, this new marriage relationship. Well, today we're going to lean into the next part of that. Well, therefore a man shall leave his father, and the New King James says, and be joined to his wife. I actually really like the idea of that the King James brings out in this. And what does it say? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and he shall, and his mother, and he will cleave to his wife. And we discussed this just a little bit. Uh, we kind of mentioned it all together before, but um, we're going to look into that a little bit more today of what does it mean to cleave? The idea has means a joining together bringing it together, uh, pursuing after, and clinging together with something. And why? That is all towards the goal so that the man and woman might live together as one. you got to stick together uh, with all of that. And so we're just going to look at, at three principles today about cleaving. And I think you might be surprised at how cleaving, there's an aspect of cleaving along the way that that God has something for every one of us, even if we're not in a marriage relationship, there's an aspect of cleaving. And it's the core aspect of cleaving that we must have right in our own hearts and lives that will enable us to cleave in the marriage relationship as God has provided that, that relationship for us. To look at this, I'd like us to turn in our, our Bibles this morning to Deuteronomy chapter 10. So turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 10. You do not have an outline in the bulletin this week, but on the back page, we always have that special lonely little page that says, notes. Why don't you give it some love and attention? <laughs> you can fill it out today on your own. 
Today we're going to see that a husband and wife are responsible to cleave, number one, as a reflection of intimacy with God. A husband and wife are responsible to cleave. This is not just something that the husband's supposed to do. This is not something that the wife alone is supposed to do. This is a community uh, responsibility. This is, a, uh, this is an instruction for the couple together. Number one, as a reflection of intimacy with God. When a husband and wife cling to one another, when they cleave and come and they join together, they pursue after a relationship with one another, yielding unity at the end. There is a picture to all of the world of what is going on in that husband's walk with God. And there's a picture to all the world of what is going on between that woman, the wife, and her walk with God. We cannot truly, successfully, and ultimately, in a godly way, cleave to our spouse if we're not first cleaving to the Lord. We're here in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10, and let's begin reading in verse 12. Here we have uh, Moses uh, kind of relaying the law once again back to the nation of Israel. And there's so many beautiful instructions, so many beautiful things about God and, and offers that he's making to the nation of Israel. And we see in verse 12, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples as it is this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt." And here's verse 20. This is where we zero in on this language. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him. And to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. In verse 20, we have the same word where in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, Adam and Eve were told to leave their father and their mother and to cleave after one another. Here in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20, we are encouraged that we are to cleave after God himself. Moses is giving options. He's giving instructions. And really, the, the, the idea is he is standing before the nation of Israel saying, look at all God has done for you. Look at what he wants for you. Look at, how, uh, look at what he is willing to do for you. Will you follow in his way. And what does he want? 
Notice it talks about them following uh, with their heart. And here you shall fear the Lord your God, serve him, and just cling to him. Go after him. This is not the only place that this idea of of, uh, the nation of Israel being invited and called to cleave to God themselves. We have it here. Please keep your hand in chapter 10, but just turn over one page to chapter 11, verse 22. Keep your hand in chapter 10 because I want to exposit a few more things here, but verse 22, chapter 11, we see a similar theme. For if you carefully keep all these commandments which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to do what? Hold fast to him. First and foremost, we have to recognize, before we get to these horizontal relationships where we are responsible to another individual to look out and meet needs in their lives and pursue the goal of unity with another person, we will never cross that finish line of unity and marriage if we're not walking in unity and if we're not walking in fellowship, if we're not cleaving to God ourselves. We might be able to give an external rough sketch to the world. We might even be able to give a worldly picture of, oh, well, they're, they're going together. They're, they're, they're holding together. That, that marriage is, they're making it. But we will never live up to God's intended purposes and plans for the glory of a marriage relationship if we don't have that vertical first and foremost. And there's something in that for all of us, whether we're married or not. And, and the, these instructions, this is, this is to the nation of Israel, God's chosen nation at this time, that he made a covenant with them, that they be a blessing, and that he would bless all the nations through these individuals. And at the heart of them being a blessing was their walk with God. And in that, he says, cling, cling to me. In life, do we cling to much? We often don't use that word. This is silly, maybe even slightly embarrassing. Has anybody ever come out of a restroom and had a piece of toilet paper clinging to the bottom of their shoe? Have you ever had that happen? Or maybe you've seen it someone else, or maybe it's, it's sticking somewhere. Did you do it on purpose? No, it's, it's just there and you, you can't get it off. But that's the idea of when we cling, I mean, you hold fast to, it's stuck to you. And everyone is going to see it. And it's going to have effects in all of your relationships. That's the point. That's why God wants us to cling to him. Because it's best for us. And it's according to our design. He made us to have this fellowship, this relationship with us. That's why God made us uh, in the first place for him to enjoy that fellowship. And so we have to stay rooted and grounded in our vertical relationship with the Lord before we can bless others in that. We looked at Deuteronomy eleven twenty two. Again, your hand is in chapter 10. Look over one more page to chapter 13 and verse 4, because here we have it written again. It's important to see this, this message, this theming, isn't just a one-time thing of, hey, cling to God, cleave to him. No, this is, this is central to his ways, to his purposes. Chapter 13, verse 4 says, You shall walk after him, the Lord your God, and fear him. 
keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. That offers the imagery of you're on a boat and the boat may be sinking, but you have the mast of that ship and you are just clinging for dear life. The ship might be going down, but you're okay because you're attached to that pole. You're holding fast. You're clinging after it. What a beautiful picture of the hope and the refuge. The book of Psalms refers to God as a strong tower that we can come and we cleave to him. We, we just latch on. There's also an idea of pursuit, and we'll talk about that here in just a few moments. But we cleave after him. And remember, this is all in the context that when we have this cleaving in our walk with God, in our intimate relationship with God, we're then able to reflect this as we reach out and we pursue and we cleave to our spouse. The world gets to see something special here because it's showing something special here. This is God's plan and purpose for it. Now, as we've mentioned before, whenever we use the word cleave, I, I tend not to think of the, the idea of being joined together. I tend to think of a big old knife, right? The, the butcher coming out, and in his hand, he might have a cleaver, right? And what's that cleaver going to do? It's going to make steaks for me, right? It's going to split that meat apart so everybody gets a little piece. And, and in English, it's really hard for us to figure out, well, is that what you want? You, you want me to make messes and you want me to push people away and just chop them up? No, that's, that's not it at all. As I was looking for illustrations, because the, the word usage has, has changed so much, yet I still really like the idea of cleaving, I, uh, I found some, some illustration potentially uh, in, uh, in the world of fiber optics. Does anybody know anything about that? Excellent. Now you can't fact check me. I know Corey's here. He's an electrical engineer, so <laughs> I'm a little scared. No, I, I honestly, I would probably do better to actually give a football illustration than, than this illustration here, but we're going to try. There's a picture for us, all right? If you can put the, the picture up on the screen here for us. <clears throat> in, uh, in engineering and in fiber optics, I am told, and I believe fiber optics are, you know, or cables, wires, different things like this. So you've got these little pictures. They're wires that are going to hook together. An electrical contractor magazine, I hold a subscription. No, I don't. I found it on, on the Internet. Cleaving is the process by which an optical fiber is cut or precisely broken for termination or splicing. Just like cutting a glass plate, fiber is cut by scoring or scratching the surface and applying stress so that the glass breaks in a smooth manner along the stress lines created by the scratch. Why is proper cleaving so important? Joining two fibers together requires mating two fiber ends. If the fiber ends are not precisely cleaved, that means really nice and cleaned up, if those have not been precisely cleaved, the ends will not properly meet. If there is a protrusion or a lip sticking out on one of the fibers, the two fibers will not butt up against each other. If there are surface defects, the ends will ultimately cause loss. 
I think that's a picture of us. And this joins both the idea of cleaving as we understand it. So the cleaving that they're talking about, you can see in the top example, if there's stuff sticking out and jutting out, I like how the, uh, the article there said, um, surface defects. Don't say that to your spouse. You know? <laughs> your surface defect is showing. Mm, not a good, do not say Pastor Lynn said so. That's not it. All right, but you've got these things and this stuff, the, the lip, my lip gets in the way too, by the way. But if you have a lip pointing out and jutting out, it's going to get in the way of, of, of joining the other end to it. It needs to be a clean, straight cut and, and cleaving in this sense. It's speaking of the cut, but it's all for the purpose of joining together. All right? Now, back to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Because there are elements in this passage. God's saying, cleave to me. And we need to cleave to God. And, and, and also in the sense of not just clinging to him, we need some fiber optic clinging, cleaving as well. We need some cutting off the protrusions, cutting off the defects that are there so that we can ultimately join and be bound to our spouse in that. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 10. And look at verse 16. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. The idea, there's a physical representation of what it's talking about when it brings up this idea of circumcise the, the, um, the foreskin of your heart. Mainly, there is a physical imagery of uh, cutting something apart, removing it, a defect, a, pr- a protrusion, getting rid of that so that ultimately it could be joined. And here he's talking about the heart, all right? And there is the idea, a very real picture for us of we need to deal with our stuff. We need to deal before the Lord with the surface defects that we find present with us. The places in our heart where we've not yet yielded to him, where we've not yet allowed him to redeem the wounds and the thoughts and the, the beliefs of our heart, where we haven't allowed him to come in, it's, bu- it, it's, it's rough, it's bumpy. It might even be sharp and pointy, and we can inflict damage on other people when we take our stuff and we hurt others with it. But God says, he's talking that idea, and he says, you know, make it clean at the heart level. Physically, cut that off. And God, through Jesus Christ, affords this to us. Jesus Christ uh, has earned us, he gifts us his very righteousness. He gifts us the ability and the power to live a right life and come in and redeem all of the sin and the brokenness and the devastation that we have had in our own hearts and our lives, inflicted to us or chosen on our own and a mixture of all of the above. Jesus Christ sets us free and he changes us. And as he does that, it cuts us straight. It gives us a good cleave so that we can come along and we can join in the best way possible, in the most God-glorifying way possible, we can join to our God. 
the Apostle Paul uses a little bit of a different imagery to it. And he used a similar thing as, as, as verse, um, verse 16 that we talked about. There's imagery of that. Another way that the Apostle Paul references it is he likes to say this, put off the old man. Or he'll say this, put off your former conduct. Put off all of the old. Why? Because God, through Christ, has afforded you new life, resurrection power on your half, freedom from the power of sinning in your life. He's given all of that so that it would change your life again so that we walk with him, walk in the newness of the Spirit of Christ, and that we can join to God through that. Our hearts must properly be cleaved before the Lord. It's a work of God, it's by God, and it's with God. This then prepares our heart to be claven in such a way that we can indeed be bound to and joined with another person. And it's always going to be a lot easier when that person is bound to the Lord, when they're cleaved to the Lord. And it's, and you know, this is what makes marriage hard is are we all always walking in this wonderful vertical relationship? Well, I am. No, not for a second. Not at all. We're not. But maybe, hey, we're, we are walking. We're connected in that vertical. But you know what? It gets real hard when our spouse isn't. And then our pokes and our protrusions and our defects hurt us, and we start to, to do damage the biblical injunction here is that we, hey, in, in, in the challenge of that, cleave to the Lord. Run it, stick to him, allow him to work. And as he works in your heart and your life, he will enable you. He will empower you to cleave even when the other person might not be super capable of cleaving at the same time. God's enablement is there for us in this most precious of relationship. <clears throat> so we see here first that uh, the couple is responsible to cleave together, and this is just a reflection of our intimacy with God. Now we'll look at it a little bit more broadly, and secondly, we see that we cleave as just a general response to life. We cleave as a husband and wife as just a general response to life. God's instructions for married couples to cleave instill in our hearts and a disposition and a default direction towards the spouse. All right, so we're looking at the idea, before we were looking at how we join together and now we're going to look at the idea of cleaving as just even going towards your spouse, leaning into them with that. There's a comedian, and, and I really wish I could remember exactly who it was, but I'm not good on the details. Just ask my wife. But uh, this comedian, wonderful, uh, really enjoying it. And, and they're, they were coming to a, a moment of faith, and, and something bad was happening, and they, they, they felt like they needed to pray. But they had never once prayed ever before like that, and, and they, they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to do it. It felt awkward. And so they just kind of talked about, they said, well, to pray, I, I just kind of talked up 
all right? They just talked in a general direction. And that's what I'm talking about. There's an aspect that cleaving to our spouse is a general direction towards them. That uh, when we have our heart and a, a disposition towards it, that we are generally moving towards them. When life happens, and it does, amen. Our general disposition is that I'm going after, I'm going towards my spouse. We've looked, again, cleaving is, is really that being joined and clinging after. But before we get to the actual clinging, where I can come around and embrace and just hold on for all it's worth, there are times in life where we got to get there first, right? We've, we've got to pursue after and take some steps just to get to them. When we get there, yeah, we'll hold on. But there are seasons of life where cleaving simply looks like I'm moving in the right direction. <clears throat> you know, the English word for pursue is interesting. If you just search for the English word, in the Old Testament, it's not super positive. Whenever you look at the idea of pursuit in the Old Testament, it's not 100%. But a lot of it is looking at um, either I am chasing, I am pursuing after enemies, or vice versa. Those enemies are pursuing me, and I'm running after it. Again, man, between butcher cleavers and pursuing after enemies, is this the picture that we're looking at for marriage? Not at all. In fact, when you get to the New Testament and you start looking for the word pursue, you know that we're going to get a completely different picture. We're not pursuing after enemies. This was, this was kind of enjoyable. This was, was fun for me this week as I, as I looked at these different things. The New Testament usage of pursuit offers a grace-filled purpose in life of pursuit that is meant to be reflected and present in our homes. So what we're going to look at now is I'm going to put them up on the screen for you so you can see. You don't have to turn. It doesn't need to be a Bible sword drill for you this morning. But the idea of these are just instances of pursuit, of this is what we're not pursuing enemies in the New Testament. We're pursuing God and we're pursuing righteousness. We're pursuing right living because he's enabled that in us, and he wants that for us. And as we pursue right living with God, again, it lets us join after. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15 says, see that no one renders evil, for, uh, evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Have you ever looked at that verse before in the context of marriage? We often externalize that, and we think this is, you know, this is just dealing with people, and, and the context deems that. It's, it's an external focus. But we've talked before about the idea of, of your spouse is your closest neighbor. Your spouse is your closest neighbor, and we're supposed to love our neighbor like we love ourselves. So we need to love our spouses and love them 
well. See that no one renders evil to evil for anyone. If we haven't, if we're not reflecting intimacy with God, evil for evil, your surface defect just scratched my wound. And now I'm hurting because you scratched me. I am bleeding all over the place. And when I get scratched, that hurts. Do you know what happens when I get hurt? I want to get you back. I want to hurt you because you hurt me. Jesus Christ offers us a different paradigm. He allows us to shift to where we don't have to render that evil for evil. I don't have to hurt even though I'm hurt. Why? Because my heart has the opportunity to cleave to God, to cleave to my wife, and cleaving before I cling to her, I got to go towards her. I got to reach out in her general direction, and this needs to be my disposition in life. Evil happens. Something bad happens. Pursue what's right. Pursue what's good. I'm going to go there with her. I'm going to go towards her, and we're going to go together. We're going to get there together. Consequently, this is a really good uh, um, cross-reference. It's not on the screen here for you, but jot down if you're taking notes. Psalm chapter 34, verse 14. When Paul says this, it's not a direct quote. It might be slightly inspired by it, but this is a wonderful cross-reference for you uh, for 1 Thessalonians 5, 15. is Psalm 34, 14. Here the psalmist says, Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Pursue peace. Most oftentimes, the word for pursue there is seek after. Hmm. That's the whole thing we've been talking about. That's what cleaving is. Cleave after peace. Next verse that we have for you to show up on the screen is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. Paul says, but you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. It's a different picture of pursuit. This isn't trivial pursuit. This is living pursuit. This is God pursuit. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22 <clears throat> says, Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And finally, our last cross-reference this morning to share here on this, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Whoa. Hold on a minute. Remember that whole thing of we cleave so that we reflect our intimacy with God? When we're following and we're pursuing right, righteousness, right living, pursuing peace and, and holiness, again, people see this. Without this, no one will see the Lord. That is powerful language, and that really gets my attention, and that, 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 gets, that makes me more aware of myself because I know moments I have that I'm not pursuing peace with all people, much less the person that shares a bed with me at night. And so it encourages me to get back 
Because there's things on the line. There are souls on the line that are getting a picture of a holy, righteous God through how we live, through the opportunity that we have to reflect him in all of that. <clears throat> Again, pursuing after, leaning, going after your wife, you got to get there. You got to get to your husband before you can cling to them. When I'm referencing this, I am not discussing romantic wooing of uh, being pursued. There are echoes written deep into the heart, particularly of a woman who wants to be pursued romantically by her husband. And that's great, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the couple's responsibility together that we're moving always toward each other. All right? When, when stress and pressures cave in on us, we don't turn outward and we don't turn inward. We come together and together we turn outward and we fight off all the spears that are coming in our way. But we have to turn to, toward our spouse and with them through all of that. We may not know what this will look like in the end, but we do know that we will be together in it. Is this the underlying resolve that lives as at the bedrock of your marriage relationship? I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know how we're going to get through this. But is your heart, we will get through this together. We lean in, we reach towards them. Lastly, and this is really just a continuation for us uh, of... Um, of, of our last point, where it, cleaving is just a response to life. It's just what you do. When something happens, do you go towards your spouse? Or is your natural inclination to go the other way? You run away. I mean, that's what the world is going to tell you to do. Oh, times are tough. Get away, put, put space. Or are you going to, and I'm not saying there's not times for that, but what I, what I am saying is that the overwhelming majority of the time, we need to turn towards our spouse and go there together. And I want to be specific about this, and this is why we close with the third point here of we cleave, it's a general response to life, regardless of the circumstances. Regardless of the circumstances. Go in your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Again, what I, I, I love about these ideas is because of where we started this morning, that we start with cleaving to God. This is true of all of us. If you're not in a marriage relationship, you can walk away from our time in God's word together being encouraged that I cling to God. And it's my is it my general disposition and response to to lean into him whenever I struggle, whenever I go through a hard time? Is it my disposition to cleave to God regardless of the circumstance that I'm facing? And if God has placed you in a marriage relationship, you have that plus the responsibility to go towards God and then go towards your spouse. The Philippian church here is an example of the law of Christian love. 
in meeting the needs and reaching out that has a disposition towards others who are suffering and hurting. Here the church offers us a picture of what could be and should be taking place also in our homes, where the church exists and lives, even more importantly so. Philippians chapter 4, let's begin in verse 10. Philippians 4, actually, no, let's not do all of that. No, no, we'll start in verse 10. Paul says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, that you surely did care, but you just simply lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. <clears throat> there, is, there are themes present here. Number one of contentment. You see, at this point of Paul's life, what was going on in his day-to-day circumstances? Anyone know? Was he living high on the hog? <laughs> no. Was he a revered leader and everybody just loved and adored him? Many did love and adore him. Many also despised and hated him and turned their back on him. He was a prisoner at this point. Chapter 1 of Philippians says, In my bonds at this point. And he's talking about a time in history where he was suffering. And he says that throughout all the suffering, throughout all the circumstances of life, he learned to both abound, that is when circumstances dictated abundancy. And then when circumstances uh, were led to that of being a base where I got nothing or times are tough, Paul also, he knew how to live. Why? Because it's Christ. It's Christ in plenty. It's Christ in poverty. It's Christ in pain. And it's Christ in joy. Paul was there in his walk with the Lord. So many of the Philippian saints were also there in their walk with the Lord. So that as they were in their vertical relationship to the Lord, they were blessed. They were cleaved to God. They, in the law of Christian brotherly love, they reached out and they blessed Paul. And they gave physically for him so that Paul could be blessed. And what a picture of what this is in our marriage relationship. Despite what is going on, God can does and will meet our every needs through the abundancy, the goodness, the gentleness of Jesus Christ. He gives us everything we need regardless of our circumstances, despite it. He gives it so that we are able to meet the needs of others. This could be it, it, it's despite the temporary circumstances and the barriers that we face. Despite our emotional status, 
My emotion could be high. I could have lots of emotion. Or I could show very little emotion at all. I could have positive emotion, joy, happiness, excitement. I cleave in my relationship. That's what's going on. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cling. I'm going to go after my wife. But in times of negative emotion, in times of pain, suffering, hurt, I'm going to cleave to my spouse. In times of financial strain or blessing, we cleave regardless of the circumstances. In times of loss, in times of grief, in times of death, in times when our loved ones are moving away and we won't have the same circle of influence and access to them that we once had. In times of busyness, in times of uncertainty, we cleave to God and we cleave to our spouse. We cleave to them. This is God's plan. A husband and a wife are responsible to cleave as a reflection of intimacy with God, as a general response to life, regardless of the circumstances. Let's all just spend some time with the Lord and offer him our circumstances. If you're married, I bet you have some marriage circumstances. If you're not, you have circumstances where we can talk to the Lord about cleaving to him. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the abundancy of grace that we have available in Jesus Christ. Father, uh, relationships are hard. Living is hard, and it's hard enough to seek you one-on-one, Lord. But you are a loving Father, and you desire us to seek you in all things, regardless of our circumstances. And Father, you desire for that level of intimacy to be lived out in our homes, Lord. And so I just lift up my marriage to you, Lord. I lift up the marriages of my brothers and sisters who were present here this morning, who were listening at home. Lord, help each of our hearts, work in our hearts, that our general disposition might be to cleave to you and our spouse in all things, through all things, to your glory, Lord. We love you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.